Welcome to the latest episode of the Portrait Persona podcast. Emily, how's it going? It is going great. Today is episode 11, if you can believe it. 11 in the banks, and we are doing another classic picture, it looks like. Uh, Who are we covering today? Who's this lady? Today, we are discussing the painting that is called Seaside, and it is by the artist named Tissot. Now, his real name was Jacques-Joseph Tissot, but he did a lot of work in London, so his name is also anglicized to James Tissot. So depending on the context, you'll hear him as James or Jacques. But regardless, made by Tissot in 1878. So we're looking at a picture of a leaning against a couch, very casual, looking calm and serene. And it's a beautiful painting. This is actually a painting I have a reproduction of in my apartment. And I kind of been looking at it thinking this might be one I might want to try, but I didn't know if I would be ambitious enough because the wardrobe was pretty intricate. But once the red wig came up in rotation, I decided give it a try. I guess that solves the question of why you picked it. So I guess we'll just go right into the build. In this one, we're talking style, we're talking ribbons, and maybe, did you try to make one of your chairs look more like the uh, couch in this picture? Yes, I did. I guess we'll start from the top. So the wig is this, the red wig that we have seen for Lucy. We've seen for a variety of things at this point. Her style has kind of a bun on top and kind of a collection of curls up front. And this painting style by Tissot had kind of a blurring effect. Wasn't super crisp, hard to tell the exact hairstyle, but I could tell there was some kind of bun on top with a volume up front with the curls. So what I did was roll the hair into curls and just use a lot of bobby pins to get that volume up front. And then I did put it into a bun in the back, which wasn't super visible in the final end result, but the pinning took a while. You'll see in the behind the scenes, I had brushed it out before styling it, and it was and is kind of getting tattered at the ends. So I tried to be careful while styling it. It's just a matter of pinning. I didn't use a curling iron. I just pinned the hair in place where I wanted it to go. The clothing was more tricky. So we see her in this 19th century gown. It's very chiffon, frothy, has several large yellow ribbon bows on it. There's yellow ribbon around the edge of the cuff. There are several yellow bows down the front of it. So I wanted to kind of mimic that look. Obviously, I did not have a dress that would work, but I did have a shirt that had a higher neck with a lace collar and kind of like a faux turtleneck. The necks of dresses at this time were very high and modest, kind of that Victorian era modesty. So I thought I would have that kind of similar neckline with that, but the shirt itself had the lace up top and then this kind of brighter floral pattern. So I knew I needed to cover that up. Plus I needed something with sleeves and that the shirt with the lace neck sleeveless. So I had that and my ivory cover-up, which this ivory cover-up has served me well. I've used it so many times this last year. So I put that over and then I had yellow ribbon that I got and I just used safety pins and pinned a few bows to the front and it looked good. It wasn't obviously as intricate as her gown, but it had the same visual effect. So I crafted that faux dress from two shirts and ribbon. 
And for the couch, which in the original is kind of a large couch that either has a large floral fabric or a blanket of some sort. I think it's just the fabric of the couch in the, the full view of the painting. So for the couch, I had a shirt with a pretty vivid floral pattern that I knew would photograph well. And I just kind of propped two throw pillows up to get them at that. So she's like leaning on the back of the couch. So I wanted it to be mimic as if it was the couch behind me. So I propped a couple pillows to get the right height. And then I just draped the shirt over the top pillow to get that look. And I left the wall behind me just the gray. And I can get into describing the background of the original more in a moment. So picture wise, you're still, I can kind of see your arms. So this is still pre, uh, pre-tripod, right? Yes, this is still long arm selfie. I think at this point, we're a couple months away from the tripod. So her face, again, like I mentioned, Tissot had that kind of blurring effect. This was, he wasn't what I would call an impressionist, but this is a time with, we just kind of use a broad term of modernism where artists were experimenting. Last time we talked about the Academy. And so this wouldn't have been like the pristine, what we would now call photorealism. And then photography was invented around this time. So that term works actually wasn't the crisp photorealism artists were experimenting with their brushwork. So sometimes it's hard to do an expression that she looks pleasant. Like her mouth is slightly open, not really, she just isn't really smiling, but she looks peaceful. And so I had to find a way to get my mouth slightly open and peaceful. And I needed to lean on the pillow to mimic as if I was leaning on a couch, but you know, my, my throw pillars are very squishy. I had to look like I was leaning, but not actually lean, because if I leaned, then it would go down too low below the frame. I was basically gingerly resting my right arm on the pillow, but it's like I had to lean on the pillow, but no, she's also leaning against her hand. But again, if I press too much weight on my hand, that would transfer to the elbow, which would push the pillow down. So I had to emulate this lean without actually leaning. I guess this is where we're far enough into the project where I start super noticing small details, such as her hand. And this is one of the first ones where I posted two instead of one final shot because I couldn't figure out which one I liked better. And one of them, I liked kind of the expression I got, but in the other, I got the hand more accurate. So she has these very elegant fingers that are kind of like splayed open against her cheek. And I, I got that effect with one, but not the other. So I, I did end up posting two versions. And this is again, where I'm noticing that artists, for whatever reason in the history of art have made women's hands so much smaller than real life. So I think that always proves to be challenging to mimic the hand pose when they're so small in the painting. So getting those yellow ribbons, were you also planning like, I'm gonna have to use these again, or were you okay with a one-time purchase? It was a little of both, I mean, Ribbon comes in a spool. So all I did was cut pieces and tie them into these lovely bows. And to get shout out to mom for, you know, present wrapping skills, I think I can make a nice bow. It actually took pretty long pieces to make these bows to get, because each side has kind of two loops or two, at least two. Yeah. Two to three loops. Even when I cut it, the pieces were still very long. So I knew I would be able to use them again. Now the piece around the end of the sleeve, that was probably washed, but I still have them in a bag. I have a bag of ribbon scraps now. 
I'm sure I will reuse them when the opportunity presents itself. Did you at any point think about like maybe printing out that beach background or having a picture of a beach and then putting that on your wall? Who knows what I would do these days, but no, I was actually just because in the cropped version, you can't really tell what's behind her. So I wasn't too concerned about that. The cropped version, it just... It's less visually interesting than the full version. I mean, in the full version, it's very luminous. There's a large pillow next to her. We do see that beach scene. I think we even can see there's like a, a bright splotch of red. I don't know if it's a balloon. I don't even, or a parasol. It looks like there's a couple people walking along the beach behind her. But when you just look at her face, it looks just kind of like a tan background. So I didn't have to worry too much. So I got to be curious about the history of this. I was wondering if we had done a Tussaud already, and I don't think we have. Have we done a contemporary of his? What's the history of this painting? What's the history of Mr. Uh, Jacques-James Tussaud? Tussaud's life dates were 1836 to 1902. And this painting, I, I can't remember if I mentioned, is now currently in the Cleveland Museum of Art. So Ohio friends, go check it out. I don't know if it's on view though, but if it is, you should go see it. So Tissot was a very successful painter in Parisian society, but eventually he moved to London in the 1870s, and this was painted in 1878. He's most well known now for kind of genre paintings of like fashionably dressed ladies in scenes of their everyday life, similar to what we're looking at here. He did some religious art, but he's most well known for these, for the ladies. This painting was part of a series of like allegorical paintings representing different times of year. So Seaside would have obviously been a summer scene. She's very relaxed. Her dress has like airy fabric. The windows open behind her. We see the beach. We see the people walking. It just kind of has summer vacation vibes. Very luminous. We see the light filtering in through the awning. Now this woman, we do know who she is. We have another muse alert. So this was Kathleen Newton. She was Tissot's mistress from 1876 until her death in 82. She was also known as Kate. She was Irish. So she was a divorcee who lived around the corner from him in London. And legend has it... They met while she was mailing a letter at the post box. So romance at the post box. Who knew? But she is in dozens, countless of his works. You'll recognize her face all over the place. They had a very close relationship. And unfortunately, she passed away from tuberculosis. And he was very distraught. But we'll see. She's just all over his art and... Because he was so distraught, he tried to contact her through a series of seances. So this is where we get into the occult. And I was unaware of Tissot's occult leanings. Now, allegedly, in 1885, he was at a seance and her spirit appeared. And on his request, bestowed him with a kiss and shook his hand before disappearing. And he was so inspired by that spiritual reunion, he made a painting about it, which is, I've never heard of or seen this painting that he made to commemorate this moment in 1885 called The Apparition. And it shows the two of them in very ghostly looking appearances. And that's my little extra tidbit about him. If you're interested in art that showcases the 
phenomenal fashion trends of the late 19th century, he would be your guy. And you will definitely see Kathleen all over his art. Her face is familiar in many of his paintings beyond this, the seaside. So I would recommend his work. I just, as I said, it has that dreamy quality, not super crisp, but the brushwork is looser. He just showed all of these beautiful interior spaces with fashionable women. So it's just one of those works of art that is, you know, visually appealing for fashion or slices of life. Or if you're interested in the occult, the apparition, that's a trip. That's creepy and crazy. I know. It's so creepy. I was not expecting that. We all grieve in different ways and he poured out his grief into a very spooky work of art to honor his love. You could see her in other works of his. Yes. One that I love is it's a winter's walk or in French promenade dans la neige, which is walk in the snow. It's beautiful. She's just looking straight at the viewer. She has this gorgeous like black fur capelet and this black hat with bright red trim and She's wearing bright red lip color. She has the snow and the pine trees behind her, but the pops of red just are beautiful. She's making direct eye contact. So I do, I love that one. I think it's in a private collection. So fortunately it's not on view, but she is all over his art. She was his muse and his love. Are there any other works of arts, contemporaries you would suggest if people are kind of inspired by this one? He's a great place to start. There are all sorts of interesting artists like 19th century French art, I think I've mentioned my love for it before. Mid-century, people start experimenting. There are all sorts of interesting artists to look at. Someone who I also like, who's around the same time, he's Belgian though. His name was Alfred Stevens. If you're interested in fashion of the 19th century and just paintings that show women in everyday life, Alfred Stevens would be another artist to explore. His style is a little different, a little more crisp. Belgian has its own history of art, but he's someone else to explore if this type of art appeals to you. Alrighty then. Well, are you ready to get stumped? Always. And based on last time, I'm just going <laughs> to steal myself up. to be vanquished. Alrighty. So, Tussaud, under the pen name Coide, Tussaud actually drew caricatures for Vanity Fair the uh, British version of the magazine. So the magazine ran from 1868 to 1914. What was the subtitle of the British version of Vanity Fair? You know, this sucks because I actually had that. It's one of my factoids that one of his side jobs was doing political cartoons. So my heart leapt thinking I might actually, I thought the question would be what magazine did he do political cartoons for under this pseudonym but that's not really it's not life's not in my side today i'm just falling. i'm just falling. i just don't know okay the subtitle of vanity fair british version of the 19 i don't know i give up i don't know a weekly show of political social and literary wares wares yes well, that was, that was like super challenging, um, but I still feel like I get half points for also having that fact prepared. So 
All right, you know what? You're right. So let's let's try a, a secondary stump. What year did he draw Charles Darwin in Vanity Fair? Well, I know the years he was active under this pseudonym, so I have seven years to choose from. 1871. Oh, you got it! What? Charles uh, Tussaud, under his pet name of Coide, drew Charles Darwin for the uh, September 30th, 1871 issue of Vanity Fair. The bird is flying! Yeah, fly the bird! You have got the bonus! Yes! I feel so great! Life is full of possibilities! Oh, there we go. There's no better way to wrap this show up than... I would have to say the amazing pivot that just occurred live on this pre-recorded show. That's (laughs) excellent. I'm so thrilled. I guess I'll give us a teaser for next time while I ride the feelings of victory. So next time we are back with the yellow wig and they're only to date three more times I use the yellow wig unless I figure out another use for it now. So we only have a few more discussions of the yellow wig and one of them will be next week. And it involves another famous female from the golden age of Hollywood. Ooh, that's a great teaser. Well, I'm really excited about that. Thank you so much for being on the show. Once again, Emily, you are so welcome. Thank you for having a bonus question that I got right. You got it. You got it. And of course we, uh, I want to give a big thanks to our theme song writer and outro producer, dad, hero, dad, hero, dad. All righty. See you later, Emily. Bye.